Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm Andy Murray, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Six love, six one is the scoreline we've just had in the afternoon session on day three here at the ATB World Tour Finals. And who's been on the end of that? Kane Ishikori. Who's won it? Kevin Anderson. My goodness, what on earth is going on? It means we've all stopped play about four hours ahead of schedule. And uh, yeah, it gives us a chance to record the first part of the tennis podcast here in the company of Mr. Simon Briggs. Hello, Simon. Hiya. Uh, we've got Grad Matt. Hello. And by special demand back here on the tennis podcast we've only got Catherine Whitaker. hello Catherine. hello special demand from the Whitaker family yeah yeah and everybody else they've been flooding actually in. not special demand from the Whitaker family because all they've been doing is texting me about how good the various telegraph reps are and how good grad matt is yeah how's your so no special demand whatsoever uh, have you had a lovely time it's been lovely yeah quite like watching tennis on the telly it's good, it's it's good, good. isn't it yeah. tennis is good what has happened this afternoon I don't understand Simon Briggs you watched it yeah I didn't pay that much attention to the first set because I was doing my latest update on Benito versus Federer the rematch um, of which more later but I did start to plug in when I realised that there was a potential double bagel uh, approaching and Nishikori saved himself from that fate in the, the last possible moment, he uh, was six love, five love down, and he dug out actually a shot rather similar to the one he dug out against Roger in his first match. A sort of desperate backhand slice that went for a winner. Uh, and by that token, he avoided the first double bagel here since 2005. Not here, I should say, but at the ATP finals, which apparently was Federer versus Gaston Gaudio. Oh, yes, I do remember that. David and I watched, we watched was the sum of this fleeting match over a late lunch uh, and at six love four love I put you on the spot and said does Kevin Anderson have it in him to inflict a double bagel and you said yeah <laughs> I underestimated him overestimated I mean him. I don't I don't know whether any sort of inbuilt microchip of Kevin Anderson's that tells him he can't inflict a double bagel and someone had anything to do with what happened today yes but but he didn't do it i don't know i just wonder if there's like something buried deep in his subconscious that says oh there's no need to you can win kev but <laughs> they need to humiliate the yeah there's no yeah exactly matt the other day i think the common consensus was that kane ishikori won but wasn't great 
Was he really awful today, or was Kevin Anderson just amazing? Um, he was really awful. Um, <laughs> he, he was really bad. He made so many errors. His first serve percentage was really low. Anderson did play well, and that's reflected in the score. If Anderson had been bad, it might have been a bit more like what we saw with Nishikori and Federer the other night, but Anderson just took care of him. Um, and in that sense, it, it played true to Sunday's form when Anderson was good and Nishikori was bad, and it was more the same, just slightly exaggerated today. And I did sort of get the feeling, kind of, when you get six love, five love, it's kind of like when you're extra time in a football match and you've gone, you've gone all that way, you, you kind of want it to go to penalties, you kind of wanted to see the double bagel, but... <laughs> you wanted the double bagel, that's the kind of man we've Matt's turned Matt's got the microchip, into. yeah. I, I kind of did, but yeah, um, he got that consolation game, there was a bit of... There's a bit of pity applause and they try to do the oh. decibel meter to Is try and get the crowd up. Worse than, they did the decibel meter. As soon as it went to uh, six love, five, one, <laughs> as, though, as though this was going to mount some sort of comeback. But uh, no, it was it was over and it was it was a blowout. And he hasn't qualified it, yet, though, has he, Kevin Anderson? He virtually has, but mathematically, no. Um, if team wins tonight, he'll be through and Fed will be out. And if Federer wins in three, Anderson will be through. OK, well, that, that... that's still to come, and we'll be re- reviewing that later. It's the first ironic use of the decibel meter. Yes. They, they don't actually have third sets at this tournament. It's, it's a little bit like the next gen. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that, that it's a two-set tournament. Five straight sets matches, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. I mean, and, and it's been a trend, not just this year, hasn't it? Uh, in uh, fact, the, today was more... They've been, they've been respectable score lines up to this one, but today was more in the pattern of uh, the last couple of years when it's been really, like, uh, one-sided. And to be very reductive about it, what do you chalk that up to? Do you think there's any element of the mental fatigue of this stage of the season, players just not able to to, to muster what it requires to, to fight back into a match, to hang tough in a match? I've always put it down to that, but the only other point somebody raised with me recently was that it could be a factor of a round robin. So if you're on your way out of a knockout tournament, then maybe you have a little bit, little bit of extra fire in your gut. Less jeopardy. You know, you know that you're, you're not going to get any more money and you'll have to buy that plane ticket, whereas here, as, as Matt uh, accurately points out, the, uh, the permutations are complex and endless, which sort of muddies the waters a little bit. Yeah, I must say, Nishikori being on the end of this defeat is a bit bizarre because he was actually in quite good form coming into this tournament often we do have a lot of players who come in here sort of sort of crawling over the finish line to the season but actually Nishikori since the US Open has put together a lot of good results he was on a bit of a hot streak maybe he's just completely burnt out but I kind of thought he would play okay here but he's he's playing about I don't know C, D level of his actual game maybe Roger dragged him down with that, with that <laughs> yeah. dreadful effort on, the, on Sunday I mean uh... we do sometimes see results and matches that I think we probably wouldn't see elsewhere in the year. The, the fatigue does play a part, doesn't it? Oh, without, how could it not? It's the, it's the final, but barring team events, discussion thereof forthcoming, um, it's the final event of the year. Fatigue is cumulative. How, how could it not? Um, you know, it's more of a factor at the US Open than it is at the Australian Open, but I mean, there, just as yesterday you all discussed the the sort of rever- not reverting to type is potentially too harsh, but, you know, Marin Cilic's 
trend of choking. Mm. Um, Nishikori has his own personal trend of completely and utterly failing to back up spectacular wins, doesn't he? That's his that's his thing, disappointing in the subsequent match after a big victory. Mm. That's, that is sort of his... I mean, he has other things as well, but that is one of his this, hallmarks. This one certainly did come out of the blue, though, in terms of the, 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 the lopsidedness of it. It is, it is bizarre. Anyway, there's enough of that. Let's talk about this real uh, head-to-head that you've been talking about. Yeah. Uh, stuff that you covered last night, Simon, of Julian Benito doing an interview in which he was highly critical of Roger Federer, or at least the way in which, in his version of events, tennis... <laughs> Kind of, uh, incidentally, we have the BBC <laughs> group next to us celebrating Sue Barker's Ron Bookman Award win and the champagne is flowing. So, uh, yeah, they're not do, do, on Do you think you should explain what the Ron Bookman Award is? It's the, it is not, you know, the most familiar uh, it's for media presentation to the sporting public. Media excellence, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's not a BAFTA. I mean, you know... Sue, what, Sue is deserving of a BAFTA. It's way better BAFTA than a BAFTA. Are listening. Anyway, but, um, she, she, they're delighted because they've got the champagne flowing. And uh, yes, media excellence, Sue Barker. So, Simon, what's gone on? Julian Benito has been on a radio show and he's not too impressed with the way that... I suppose the red carpet is rolled out for Roger Federer wherever he goes and things are skewed in his favour. Is that is that fair enough? It was rather like Benito went into the studio and didn't actually think they'd turn the microphone on. It was, it was, it was reminiscent of, uh, you know, those um, political briefings we had early in the Brexit process where it sounded like the, uh, the Conservatives weren't aware that people in the EU could read. You know, it was, it was that kind of thing. And like, either he was trying to... Um, get a bit of uh, profile now that he's retired. I think he has retired, hasn't he? I mean, he's been... He has retired. He, he, there they have gave been, there it, have been he, comings and goings in Benetton's retirement he schedule. He has had cake in his honour. Right. That so, is the signal of official retirement. So either he was looking for Late profile... Lake had a few cakes. <laughs> yeah. or, or he just thought, you know, I, I'm on... What was it? RMC? Or yes. Radio Monte Carlo, okay. but which is a national radio station. It's and he didn't just, think that anyone was really going to notice. So <laughs> he started telling the truth. Um, which is always a dangerous game. Um, anyway, the, the subject matter he addressed was that he felt Roger Federer was too politically involved in the backstage manoeuvrings of tennis, which, as we know, are complex and sometimes murky, uh, and that it was interfering with maybe his involvement in tournaments, but also in his stances on things like the New Davis Cup. Um, and... Also, Benito said that you know his agent Tony Godzik had been going into the referee's office at the U.S. Open and saying he will not play on the new Louis Armstrong court. He will be on Arthur Ashe. Um, to which the U.S. Open quickly responded. They were the only party to respond to us last night. They said, uh, "Well, we we didn't have to have that conversation because, as far as we were concerned, Serena, Roger, and Rafa were." all going to be on our ash every match in any case. We've since had today Craig Tiley response um, to Benito's comments because Benito said that Tiley was receiving money from teammate Federer's management company via the Labour Cup in which they're partners and was then uh, conflicted when he put Roger on at the prime time slot 14 out of 16 no, 12 out of 14 matches at the Australian Open in the last two years. Um, I think it's 13 out of 14. Anyway. Anyway, I mean, uh, the response that came in, Craig Tiley, and as Ben Rothenberg neatly put it on Twitter, the 
sort of substance of that response was almost like, yeah, and? Yeah. <laughs> so we, we yeah. obviously we put on the prime time slot. I mean, who yeah. wouldn't? It was a really lengthy, wordy well, sort of shrug of the shoulders. Just, just to give you a couple of uh, tidbits from what he said, in terms of players and their appeal, it needs to be said that Roger Federer is a once-in-a-generation player, widely regarded as one of the biggest box office athletes in the world. He's been regularly voted Australia's favourite athlete. The fans demand his appearance in the big stadiums, and our broadcasters naturally want his matches to air in prime time. And I don't think that there's a tournament director in the world who's not going to take those factors into account when setting the schedule. This is the case with all the big names in tennis and sport in general. Um, he also describes the Labour Cup as a disruptor in men's tennis. Also, this being viewed as that because it's been successful. He hasn't, he hasn't put it quite as cleanly as that, but there's a, that's the meaning he's trying to express. Basically, it's sour grapes from the rest of the tennis world. Labour Cup has been a runaway success, as far as he's concerned, and everyone else is jealous. That was, that was what I read into it. And the whole background of the story, to me, is it, it's a very interesting grey area because basically what it's about is how much is tennis a pure sport and how much is it an entertainment? And we've been over this quite a lot when I've been on the tennis podcast. And uh, I think as a reporter in a dwindling band of full-time reporters, I tend towards the view that you can't expect tennis to be whiter than white if you were going to have a totally pure sport you would take every name in the draw put it in a big hat and it would spit out who's on what court at random and 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 you know you're not necessarily going to want to have Krajinovic against um, but, a Juma on centre and Roger on on court 12 but then the logical conclusion of, of, of that the other end of the spectrum is that we all just prostrate ourselves at yeah. the feet of market forces which is why it's difficult and market forces um, and market was, forces was the phrase what, I used in, in my piece Wimbledon, Wimbledon used to justify their gender bias scheduling and, and what is used to justify an awful lot of things that various different powers within tennis do could rise above and could work to correct if they wanted to and some are in more of a privileged position financially and power-wise to do so than others. Um, but I, 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 I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate a little because I don't, dis, I don't disagree with you, but you inevitably have to land in a grey area, which is yeah, sort no of uncomfortable. Because it's a yeah. sport and it's an entertainment. I actually think Wimbledon got it right this year in that they did surprisingly at the time put Federer out on court one for instance for a match and actually ended up losing um, now whilst that may be awful for the Federer fans and, and yes maybe the bottom line as well and, and, and viewing figures etc it, it, it added some credibility to me to the tournament in that it just made it a bit more of a level playing field um, but I, I don't disagree with you however the, the, this argument that Craig Tiley is making and it it echoes many others that we've heard over the years, singularly fails to acknowledge the role that the likes of Tennis Australia and the other governing bodies have in creating the market in which they themselves are operating. I think, again, the waters are muddied by the fact that we're talking about Roger Federer, who is so exceptional and so transcendent within the sport. It kind of makes it makes it difficult. But, you know, you're, you persistently put these people you're creating stars by persistently putting them on the biggest stage by bringing them to the attention you know again the, the for me the most sort of stark um, example of it is with 
you know along gender lines you know women you say oh you know women aren't as big as stars as the the big four in the men's game well if you keep putting them on the third biggest stadium and don't give them the opportunity to take the stage then they're going to be you're creating those market forces so I I I don't I'm I'm not advocating that we ignore market forces altogether I'm absolutely not I'm not naive enough to do that I just just think statements like there is such a failure to acknowledge and take responsibility for the fact that we all to greater and lesser degrees and the likes of Tennis Australia with their power as a governing body in the tennis world to a greater degree do have more power to set the rules of the game than they acknowledge Mm. Uh, Novak Djokovic came out in support of uh, his rival last night Mm. Roger uh, Roger Federer he he said look he's he's the biggest star it's normal basically that he would get that sort of scheduling yeah this is a a difficult tournament to cover sometimes because you get press conferences happening at sort of 10.30 and then you've got to make your way out and, and sort of find your way home and drag yourself in in the morning and I woke up thinking that Novak had said uh, Roger Federer, in my opinion, is men's tennis. Well, she hadn't. John Isner said that about ten minutes earlier because they were both asked. Yes, that's right. Uh, and I thought, and I was thinking, wow, that's a, that's a good subject. Maybe that's a column. And then I discovered that I'd invented <laughs> how, the whole thing. How far thing. did you get with the column? <laughs> yeah, not very far. <laughs> I mean, nevertheless, uh, Novak did, you know, uh, not not twitch or grimace or, or show any hesitation in in really backing the Federer. Side, which, which was in, in itself interesting, not as interesting as it would have been if he had said, <laughs> Roger Federer is men's tennis. It's a good, but, in, it's a good to go off on a slight tangent, tangent, it's a good indicator of where Novak Djokovic is psychologically though, isn't it? He's obviously so supremely yeah, that, comfortable, that's, that's not, feeling, to, yeah. not feeling any chips on his shoulder whatsoever. I think is slightly more insecure Djokovic about his place in the mould and maybe his potential to, dare I say, overtake Nadal and Federer might not be quite so forthcoming with a comment like that. Whether he felt it deep down or not, he might be less yeah, likely to say I it. I thought the way he didn't even hesitate was a good example of the fact that he's not feeling very aggrieved at the moment. Mm. Um, I actually spoke to Marion Vider at the uh, ATP Finals launch uh, in John Burko's apartment on Friday. Um, These are the sort of circles in which Simon Briggs... Uh, yeah. Uh, when you say his 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 apartments this, this, plural, this, this, no, that, that 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 probably shouldn't have had a plural. <laughs> his rooms, um, um, his rooms at, at the uh, House of Commons. How many so. does he have? Oh, well, he's definitely got a few rooms. Yeah, I mean, we were being sort of hustled in and out of them at various times while presentations were being made to the Coach of the Year and, and so on. Uh, which was, in fact, Marion Vider. Uh, and Andrew Castle was doing a manful job in a front room, you know, a very grand front room with wonderful ceiling and portraits on the walls and mullioned windows and so on, but quite a difficult front room in which to, you know, they had to put a little bit of a dais up there and it was, it was a little tricky uh, for the presentation. But it's certainly a, a fascinating venue and the latest in the series of ATP launch venues. They've been around all the landmarks of London, Tower of London, Cutty Sark and Battersea Power Station over the years it's been here. Anyway... That was the venue. Uh, the conversation was about Novak, and he was just saying to me, he, he just is so much more balanced than he's ever seen him. Really? Marion was saying that, you know, he, he, more than when he was dominating in 11 or 15, he, he just seems to be unstressed 
um, and, and a one with himself, which is pretty terrifying, really, isn't it, if you're not Novak Djokovic and you're a professional tennis player? Well, particularly given his performance last night, which was just but, sublime. But really, over the last... I mean, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't troubled in Shanghai, was he? He wasn't troubled no. at the US Open. Um, you know, it, it, it feels like a revert to norm. And before I was in here, we're talking to Naomi Cavadage, who's saying, you know... Uh, she wants to know does anyone have a strategy against him like does anyone actually go out thinking I'm going to get into this bit of his game or, well, do, like, or do people just like go out Gilles there like Gilles Simon did at the Australian Open that year and he just slow balled him and mm. junk, well, junked I, him the whole time I think time. John Isner thought that he would be able to keep him at bay with his big game and it just but quite early on he was off. he was sort of shrugging and, and yeah. holding his hands up I think to, he I think he broke his, his heart box. in the first few games the first, the first serve came back didn't it it was uh it's a 130 mile an hour serve he's, uh, wide to the forehand came back right at his toes wide nailed nailed the uh, spot he was looking for but and is this subse- the back foot. subsequently described him as the first second and third best returner in the sport of all time yeah oh dear good luck everybody <laughs> um, j- just going back to um, to Beneteau uh, uh, his comments and, and Labour Cup do, do you do, do you have concerns with that? I mean, we, there's, a, there's loads of sort of conflicts of interest within this sport. They're all over the place. D- d- just the nature of, of the way things are. D- do you have major concerns for, for, for the way the sport is based on all those conflicts, Simon? Well, yeah, but I don't think that the one that Benito was highlighting is like very high up the list. <laughs> it, 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 you know, it's an interesting area, and I don't necessarily dispute what you're saying, but I think we all know that Roger gets... I mean, it's a bit like the statement. The statement, yeah, and. I mean, that is it. That is it. Roger gets preferential treatment. Roger, as Novak and John Isner says, has earned preferential treatment. The question about uh, the sports administration is much more highlighted in the total schmozzle over the Davis Cup. The fact the ITF have sold it to Cosmos. The fact that the team tennis tournaments are now basically going to be running in conflict with each other for the next couple of years unless something is resolve very late in the day Zverev is telling everyone that no one apart from Rafa is even going to consider playing yeah and then the fact that the, the players are, are still struggling to, to to arrive at the end of the season with their bodies intact and it's just going to make it that much worse um, so you know interesting points by Benito I can see why he says them I, I have sympathy for his position but I don't think they are too high up the agenda be interesting to see if, me. He, if he comes out at all again um, either to backtrack, as sometimes you see. Well, he has been on Twitter. Has he? What's he saying? Um, to clarify things, I'm just saying that we must avoid conflicts of interest as much as possible in order to preserve some sporting fairness. There is nothing personal about Roger Federer because I'm the first to say that it is the greatest. Um, yeah, I mean, I so think. I think. Is there anybody that would dispute that this sport has? too many conflicts oh, yeah, so of that, that's the other point isn't it which I haven't made is, is you know I mean you look around the, the ATP board or um, any, anybody's players box and, and it's just there's so many people working with so many hats on it's just quite terrifying and, and, and the Labour Cup does embody you know uh, uh, quite, quite an extreme example of that probably with um, with teammates his word disruptor bothers me because I think he's, he's absolutely right um, but he, he sounds like he's really taking a pride in that well yeah and that bothers me yeah. um, because I have a huge amount of respect for Craig Tiley as a person as an operator but and, and I do think he's created a great event I just think we need to 
create a, an amazing Davis Cup, personally, and I'd rather see all the efforts and attention and energy put into that, frankly. And I think, unfortunately, this gets in the way, um, as, as good fun as it is. But then the problem is with the governing setup in which the ITF had been, uh, what's the word, they've been floundering with the Davis Cup for so long that it was definitely much easier to start an exciting new event than it was to reinvent the Davis Cup in an exciting way. Um, so that, from that point of view, you know, Tennis Australia is a very interesting case study. You know, 30 years ago, 35 years ago, the Australian Open was an afterthought. Now it's arguably the best tournament in the world. I mean, this is certainly the biggest tournament in the world, and the numbers of people you get in there. I was speaking to the coach at my, at my tennis club the other day, and he was just absolutely banging on about how much he loved it, why it's so special, such an incredible feel there. Um, they are risk-takers. They, they have shown a willingness to, to bend the envelope, and it's true that that's causing problems now, but it's only causing problems because the sport has a, has a sick setup. If, if the sport was healthy, then, then that would be beneficial. I don't disagree with you, but at some point someone's got to take responsibility and say, and not, and not just sort of surrender at the sick setup of, of tennis and say, oh, well, you know, we're all at its mercy, we might as well just play this dodgy game. Surely someone out there has got to go, hang on a second, I care about tennis in the long term more than I care about any of this other hoo-ha. No one's doing that. I mean, Tennis Australia's set-up, or their thinking on this, is that they have to invest in big events because that's where it's all going, and that's why they also were very behind the World Team Cup. You know, they, they wanted to get ahead of the curve. They know that a 250 event is, is largely loss-making, um, and the 500 may struggle, uh, and that the bigger the event, that's where the money is. They, 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 they want to defend their position. They are looking to get out ahead of the curve, thinking that, that tennis will continue to stratify in this way, with, with the stronger getting stronger and the weak getting weaker. Uh, and you can understand that, uh, that as a business proposition why that would make sense let's hope they all work it out <laughs> let's hope chances they all get around this table get some asubaka champagne get that down that's and, the table they need to be around and right come there and have a that's good old a fun chat old table and work it all out between them right well we've got an evening session of matches to look forward to catherine lovely having you back on the tennis podcast are we not gonna are we not gonna make ourselves it silly by talking about what might happen on, in the evening session prediction, then let's have it I think Federer is going to win. Right, OK. Simon Briggs? I think team's going to win. Oh, blimey. I'm going to go for Federer going to win. What do you say, Matt? Yeah, I said Federer yesterday, so I've got to stick with that. These are going to be the last words uttered on this segment of the podcast before you come back yeah. with the actual result. Yeah, Brilliant. See, see you in two seconds. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.
Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Well, Roger Federer won <laughs> pretty easily. Uh, six two six three, and a second set in which I think, Matt... He only lost one point on serve. Mm. What was the story of the match? Was this Roger Federer just gloriously reminding us that we're all talking utter nonsense, or was this Dominic team playing atrociously? Mainly the latter, I would say. Um, teams teams had a history of not brilliant matches on hard courts, and this was probably one of the worst, to be honest. 34 unforced errors, I think he racked up in those two fairly quick sets. Yeah. Um, Federer was certainly better than he was the other night. Um, he was less irri- irritated by the whole thing. Yeah. Um, a lot less calmer. ratty. Less ratty. Ratty yeah. Roger yeah. had um, been put back in his cage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he was pretty calm, untroubled, went up a break and then a double break in the first set. Mm. And it was better. His backhand, noticeably, was a lot better. I thought yeah. he, uh, he exchanged backhands pretty well with team. And it was yet another match at these ATP finals that wasn't particularly competitive. Yeah, and six straight sets matches in the singles so far. And I think the thing that struck me, and he alluded to it in his first answer in the press conference, was it was about mindset tonight. It wasn't about forehands and backhands. He said, for whatever reason, he was in a bad mood the other day. Uh, a couple of things went wrong, and then suddenly his whole mindset was negative. And he said that afterwards, that, I mean, the first thing he was asked was, why did you cancel a practice session at Queen's Club? And he said, it's true, I did do that, and I'm going to do it again tomorrow because the, the problem wasn't in my forehands and backhands. It wasn't about that. The shots are there. He said the problem was in my head. And he said uh, on the long journey back after the Nishikori match, we had a good chat about it, and they said, you know, you need to just take a day off and get in, basically get in a good headspace, didn't they? They said, you, you need to come out optimistic, mm. and that's, that's how he looked. Yeah, absolutely, and he's planning to do the same tomorrow, to not practice again, he said, just because it worked so mm. well. Um, yeah. And actually, he, he explained the Nishikori defeat a lot better in press today than I thought he did the other night. On Sunday evening, he said, just hadn't been practicing that well and it was about adjusting to the conditions which yes is a factor but everyone has to adjust to the conditions i think he even he after 18 years of doing this was still was a little confused as to why he'd played like that at that time and i think having been able to give it some thought had some better news tonight yeah he understands it more and um it leaves us not knowing a clear picture about who's going to qualify from this group i tell you 
We, I usually turn to you whenever we've got these issues. I'm going to turn to you now. I mean, you've got a sheet of paper here with the various permutations on it. I'm not even going to begin to try to sum them up for you. Just go and find them. They'll be on social media somewhere. But, but I mean, my head hurts just looking at it. Who's going to... Yeah, I think, I think the conf- a good way to sum up how confusing it is is that Federer can lose and go through go through and he can win and go out so it really is i don't remember one quite like this here you know i I don't think i seem to remember there was one in the very first year where it was confusing with del potro Mm. federer and murray yes that's that's true yeah um but they've done a much better job at rolling this out very quickly quickly there are a few uh criteria there that basically say yeah uh it might go down to game percentage so we we, we'll have to wait and see Um, yeah and anderson is in a very strong position he is pretty much qualified on every scenario there's only one where he loses in two and nishikuri wins in two where it would go down to games but with him having thrashed nishikuri today game percentage is very much in his favor Right. Oh, well, see, now we do know, because Matt's laid that out very clearly. So thank you for that, Matt. Now, that's the tennis that we've seen today. We've obviously been talking in the rest of the show about this situation with comments from Julian Benito uh, about Roger Federer and his influence in the game and um, suggesting he gets preferential treatment through various uh, issues and conflicts of interest within the game. That situation, those comments were put to Roger Federer in his press conference after the match. This is what happened. Uh, Roger, are you aware of the, the comments made by Julian Benito in a French uh, radio interview uh, about sort of suggesting you getting favourable scheduling? I wonder if you got any reaction to that. I don't. You don't know about the comments or you don't I know reaction? about the comments, yeah. But I don't really feel the mood during a World Tour Finals to discuss that topic to be honest and in all fairness I, th- I hope you understand why because this is a bit of a celebration of tennis here for me it's the year-end finale and um, I love playing here and the radio interview that ha- happened over a week ago that surfaces now in French Julien who's a nice guy I know him since the junior times and I think all of this has g- totally been taken out of context um, I don't feel like I need to comment on this and rather put it to rest rather than adding to it so you guys got something to write about. Thank you, guys. Um, just one question on that note. Is it correct, though, the claim that your agent requested that you not play an Armstrong this year and would your agent normally make scheduling requests like that? I get asked... Would you play, like to play Monday or Tuesday sometimes? Sometimes they get asked, do you want to play day or night? Sometimes they go ask the agent. Sometimes they ask me, you know, Asia wants you to play at night. So, yes, sometimes we have our say. But uh, I asked to play Monday at the US Open. I play Tuesday night. It's all good, you know. I've had that problem for 20 years in the good way. Sometimes I get help, sometimes I don't. And I think there you have it. Um, yeah, and sometimes they come ask, uh, sometimes they don't. But a lot of the facts are not right, just to be clear there. 
So, Matt, what do you make of all that? I mean, first of all, I should say we were both in the press conference tonight. It's uh, As we speak to you now, it is 10 to 11 at night. Roger Federer has just left the interview room, having, having said what he said. Those were the last two questions of the press conference. And, I mean, I've been going to Roger Federer press conferences for many, many years. That was one of the steelier stares that I've ever seen him fix on a, on a media room. And it wasn't just on Mike Dixon from the Mail who, who asked that first question, a perfectly legitimate question based on the reports that we've heard. Um, I thought he was clearly ready for that. I mean, he said himself he knew of the story. He decided he wanted to shut it down, but also just let us know that he didn't think we'd reported it correctly. Um, the second one that Stuart Fraser of the Times followed up with. Again, perfectly legitimate question. Um, there's that pause. And and when you were in the room, it seemed to go on forever. He was just looking at, at Stuart Fraser. And I was trying to work out, well, what what's the pause all about? Is that just to let him know not to impress with that question? Or is it I'm not quite sure what I'm going to answer? It seemed to me took him aback a little what did you what did yeah. you make of it you haven't been to that many federal press conferences over the years but but what was your sense no it was it was it was delicious wasn't it that pause it was there was <laughs> this sort of wave just came over the room and Federer had the room in the palm of his hand um and was controlling it by as you said just not saying anything in that brief moment and they'd already said that mike dixon's question was going to be the last one in english and then Stuart Fraser popped up with this question that got right to the heart of the issue. Of the issue. Which is what you have to do in that situation. Now, I, I think too often, and I think this is one of the, the, the reasons for, for, for why, why it seems like a talking point, is too often we all just or, or media rooms roll over because Roger Federer's in town. And there's always so much good to say about the guy. Let's not be honest. I mean, he's... A, I, I, I think a lot of him uh, uh, it's, as a person he's, he's an incredible player one of the best we've ever seen but I do think and look, the guy needs to be taken to task about certain things from time to time this is one of them and and I thought put two good questions fascinating answers um, certainly you you I, I do think the the scheduling issues and, and the things that he let us in on there that the, basically t- telling us it does go on it does go on it, I don't always get my way but it does go on I, we know it goes on but it, I do find it slightly alarming when it comes along at Grand Slam tournaments mm. that are that, that are bigger than Roger Federer however big he is they're bigger than he is yeah we were we were talking off air weren't we about some of the sort of smaller tournaments, a tournament like Basel or Halle or something where he's going to get the preferential treatment. And, you know, it's not an ideal situation, but you can very much understand yeah. it because there's so many other issues for the tournament directors going on. But it is at the slams where it does feel the most uncomfortable. And we were talking as well about this sort of additional additional layer of sort of favoritism if, if you will if you put it if you say that um john isner said yesterday that this was just about the top players but it's not actually just about the top players it's about it's about federer there's the, the actual issue is federer getting the preferential treatment over the other top players everyone knows that the top players are going to play on center and number one court at all the big events that's that's just the way it is the actual issue here is whether Federer is the one who plays on centre more than the other top players. And that's why, as, as you talked about earlier in the show, 
Novak Djokovic's comments were really interesting because he he wasn't overly happy with the situation at Wimbledon and I, I believe he requested to play on centre didn't he he's called a final which bumped Federer to, to court one yeah well I think it was after it, the action of it match. was cumulative wasn't it mm. to some degree I think I think Djokovic sort of made his thoughts known two or three times and eventually it happened and I actually think fair play to Wimbledon that yeah. they did that yeah. they stood up and they said you know what yeah time to put Federer on court number one and lo and behold he ended up losing that's the way it goes um, but something that uh, we were talking about earlier just about this this feeling that Djokovic well he's got nothing to lose now has he he's, he's flying suddenly mm. so he can afford to be completely magnanimous to some degree but yeah it's 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 just interesting it's an insight into what goes on this is stuff that happens and, and this is what's happened tonight in the conversation mm. so tomorrow what do we have? We've got uh, in the afternoon session uh, Novak Djokovic against Alexander Zverev. Yes. What do you think? Tough to see anything other than a straight sets Djokovic win. Really? Um, the head-to-head's won all, but Zverev's win came in Rome last year when Djokovic was not himself and they played very recently in Shanghai and Djokovic wiped him off the court. Uh, 6-2, 6-1, I think it was there. And he's just playing a level above anything that we've seen in this mm. tournament I think so far Federer was better tonight but not not on the same level that Djokovic was on yeah. last night I'm, I'm, interest, I'm interested to see if, if Zverev can I'm interested. I'm really. interested to see how Zverev approaches the match because he, yeah. he, he acts like someone who thinks he should be beating Djokovic and yeah. he, needs to, he needs to start showing it and what what better stage? But there's there's it's such a tough ask. Djokovic was, I thought he was unbelievable against Isner. That he was just on it from the mm. first ball. And yeah. when you play Isner, you kind of know that if you're not on it, you could get sucked into this match that you really don't want to be playing because suddenly you can't break the guy's serve and you're in a third set. And he was so sharp, defended his own serve so well, and yeah, he was. I was what, what so you, impressed. What do you think Isner? Sh- uh, sorry, what do you think Zverev should do against Djokovic? Because his 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 baseline game, and I don't mean his backcourt game. I mean his fundamental base is so similar to Djokovic's, mm. but with a bigger serve. And and I think he, if Djokovic is playing well, the movement is the difference. Yeah. As as much as anything, he just makes the bigger guy move and. Zverev eventually gets found out. Does that mean that Zverev needs to almost do what Andy Murray started doing against Nadal and play outside of his comfort zone? I think he, I think you have to play outside of your comfort zone. That's that's part of what makes Djokovic so good. He makes you change your game. He's so good at getting the pattern he wants in a match and implanting his game on a on a match. Um, so yeah, Zverev needs to hit big. He needs. And to be honest, he needs to hope, I think, that Djokovic is a bit off because mm. if Djokovic is on, he's, he's winning that match. Yeah. And then in the evening session, it is uh, Marin Cilic against John Isner. Um, I have no idea who's winning that. I'd probably go Isner because, just because Cilic seems a little fragile. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go with that. I did mm. take a look at the head-to-head, which is quite heavily in Cilic's favour, I think, overall. But mm. Isner's won more of their recent matches, yeah. interestingly. Um 
And yeah, Cilic is tough to back him at the moment, isn't yeah. it? Jamie Murray's through with Bruno Suarez to the semi-finals. They've still got one round robin match to play, but they beat uh, Cabal and Farrar earlier tonight. So they're through. Well done, Jamie Murray and, uh, and Bruno. Uh, and yeah, that just about does it, I think, for another tennis podcast. Am I, I missing anything does. else? No? No. Well, can we go and get a beer or two then? <laughs> right bar it is there's just a handful of people left in the media restaurant here at the o2 arena we will be back with another tennis podcast tomorrow uh thank you for your company uh we have been produced in association with the telegraph um we are executive produced by melanie bowes tennisballs.com triple s uh mascot is charlie the ferret and we're sponsored by la manga club and we'll see you tomorrow 